I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Kieran. Hi, Eve. Third time's the charm? Yeah, it seems to be. We are capable of recording, I think. Yeah. <laughs> you know. How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. I am really tired because I spent this last week actually being a campaign manager which uh, was very exciting. Which is going on your resume. And it's going on my resume. Good. And that'll that'll be there, and it'll be cool. And this week was a big push for everyone, because I have I've four jobs now. Uh, <laughs> and so everyone was, like, getting all their papers into file and updating all their websites and everything. So I've been, like, running to meet this deadline, and I succeeded, and now I'm, like, tired. So, but good. Well, th- Thank you for making time yeah. to record with us out of your busy schedule. <laughs> All of a sudden, Mixed everything. campaign manager. Yes. How are you? How have you been? Well, I'm training my sister's dog, and she destroyed two pairs of cheap sandals today. Oh. But everyone's still alive. Good. So we're good. She's half good. dinosaur. I, I swear, this dog is half hound, half dinosaur. Like, she's just huge, and she thinks she's a lap dog. Like, I thought Blanche had, like, I think I'm a lap dog, like, I need your attention kind of problems. This dog is, Blanche is so good. Blanche is so <laughs> well-behaved. And it's really funny, because this dog is, like, so ill-behaved, and just, you know, <laughs> rowdy and rambunctious that, like, Blanche just, like, constantly looks at me like Jim from The Office, where she's just, like, has this put upon look of like I'm suffering. Oh, these idiots! <laughs> so funny. Poor Blanche. But I'm good. I've been doing a bunch of reading, finishing up some books that I started at the beginning of summer before I started teaching summer classes, and starting to like. I just got my textbooks for the fall, so I'm starting to like prep my fall syllabi, which like it just I can't believe the summer is almost over. <laughs> right. It's just everything's moving too quickly. I have an announcement. We have survived over seven months of 2020. We made it. two years of this podcast. Yeah, that too. We (laughs) we did just have our our two-year birthday anniversary. Yeah, last year we took all of August off, and that was a great decision. And this year we're like, we're going to cram as much as we can in August so we can take it off later when we need. (laughs) Right, yeah. Anyway, uh, we're probably boring our guests to death here. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of, like, school and stuff. Uh, We have one of our our, um, patrons and and friends, Kristen, um, is here to join us to talk about a part two to our DeVos episode. And uh, you want to introduce yourself to to the crowd? Um, So I'm Kristen. I am a special education teacher. I'm certified in teaching uh, special education for students with disabilities from grades K through 12. I'm certified in elementary education, K through six, and I have a master's degree in behavior. (laughs) So most of what I do at school right now is helping the students who, I'm a little kid. I have very big emotions. I don't know why I have these big emotions or what to do with them. So my response is to get violent. Mm, yeah. yeah. Processing things through the body is, you know, the, the easiest first pathway. <laughs> Makes sense. Especially when you don't know what you're even processing in the first place. 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. I just want to comment that you like your credentials are like deeply fortified by the fact that you have a massive pile of craft supplies next to you. Yes. <laughs> While we're recording this, yes. it's just like very much like yes, this person teaches elementary school. <laughs> um. I'm pretty sure at least somewhere in this house is a massive drawer of nothing but stickers. The correct. Yes. I that would is expect right. nothing less. I, I and I definitely have like fidgets all over my desk too. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. Very very on brand. Well, I'm so glad you could join us. Um, how, like, how did this episode come to be? We we were we've been talking about doing an episode on DeVos for a long time and you're in the Slack group Mm -hmm. and at some point it came up where you were just like had so many feelings and opinions and things that we had to not forget that we were just like can you can you just email it to us and then in 20 minutes later I emailed you three pages it was great and Karen's like this is an episode yeah yeah we we realized at the end of, of last week's Last week, so I'm saying this in quotations because who knows how much time? I don't understand. Uh, last time's episode. Last it's last COVID. time's what episode. Time? Yeah. Fake. We didn't we didn't even like cover everything about Betsy DeVos that I had like put in the doc, and I knew we weren't going to be able to get to cover public schooling because I'm not an expert in it. But I know people who are. So I was like, obviously, there's going to be a follow up to this. And then, yeah, like, Kristen sends us this amazingly well cited and researched, like, thing about how it's going to impact public schools. So now you're here. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I, yeah, we, I've always said, uh, um, she was a guest on, like, one of our very first episodes to my friend, Jim Matu, um, who, she's a way author and she's a public school teacher. And she's one of my, my writing mentors and, and she writes a lot of like contemporary YA and I've always told her like, I couldn't write a like school, like high school novel ever because I don't know what that's like. I've done that. I've never been there. She was like, you could do it probably. And I'm like, "Mm, no, no, I can't. And this feels the same. It's like, we could, we could do this, but we couldn't do it justice. So I'm so glad we have Kristen here. Yes fun so uh we're gonna be um beautiful idiots for the rest of this time Uh, just very ignorant tell us tell us what you see with DeVos because we talked about our perspective you just listened to that episode do you have any comments on what we said that you want to like or anything you want to clarify or feedback a lot of the things that I noted down just from your last episode were I, I t- my brain focused a lot on the curriculum aspect because you were mm-hmm. talking about how there was, you know, your family had such a specific budget for curriculum and that was it forever. And when you mentioned that budget, my immediate brain went, that's not enough to cover a classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at one of the classrooms in my own district, some of the programs we use, we use a reading program called Foundations for the Lower Kids so K through third grade, and we use a math curriculum called Bridges Math. For one classroom, Foundations is $1,785.50. Whoa. For one, and that's 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 only one year. like, how many students? 25. That's 25 students for one year. 
Bridges math for 30 students for one year is $1,500. And that's just decoding in math. That's not reading comprehension. That's not writing. That's not social studies or science, which often the school districts are making up the curriculum. Well, and those are just the workbooks. Those are not the textbooks, correct? It's the workbooks. It's the teaching manual. It's all the materials that go with it. So for foundations, okay. it's your workbooks. It's magnet boards and letter tiles. It's posters for the room. It's a teacher's manual. Okay, it's, so it's all. It's the entire it's the package. Entire okay. kit. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and, and like one of the things about homeschooling is it's it's like not cost effective in that way because it's like you have five kids in five different grades. You have to get an entire curriculum set. For for, for every grade. subject, for every, yeah, yeah. Um, so doing it at the Costco bulk rate is a little bit cheaper <laughs> for the public school, but still not cheap. No, and that's just general education. Like if I were working with a student who has a difficulty in decoding, I can't use foundations. We already know it didn't work for them because they're working with me. So now I have to look for what other scientifically based resources are out there that'll address their direct needs and see if I can get that or get something close to it or build it myself. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot of extra work. Yeah. <laughs> Makes my 45 minute planning period seem really small. Oh, that's, oh. that's no time. That's no time. <laughs> So um, just for our listeners who are not education people, what do you mean by decoding? So decoding is specifically the act of taking the letters and symbols that are on a page and realize, figuring out what sounds connects to that. So when you see the symbols C, A, and T, you look at that and you go, wait, I know that C says K when followed by an A. I know the A in, in this case is a short vowel because it's in a closed syllable, so it's going to make the A sound and T has T. And then when I put those together, I get cat. And then after the comprehension piece afterwards is realizing that when you read the word cat, you're talking about the cute little fuzzy animal that sleeps at my feet at night. Right, right, right. So one of the things that you talked about in this doc is like ideals very simplified mm -hmm. ideals of like what good instruction looks like and I feel like understanding that is something that like is really fundamental for understanding all the ways that DeVos fucks it up <laughs> so <And it's> <laughs> you want to you want to walk us through that first so good instruction in short is matching what students need if you are a student who has learning difficulties your instruction should be matching whatever it is you need. If you're someone who learns better through song or through sound, there should be a audio component. If you learn better through doing, there should be a component where you're physically doing something. That's why a program like Foundations is actually really good because you're speaking it, you are looking at tiles, you're physically moving them around and rearranging it, you're writing it. So there's a visual component, an audio component, a movement. It's known as multi-sensory because you're using all of your senses at once to learn. And the more senses you're engaging, the better it is for your body and brain to remember what it is you're doing. And this is a lot of the best practices that we got trained to teach te teachers in Kyrgyzstan mm -hmm. for Peace Corps. Is like, you can't just read, memorize, and regurgitate. You have to do all of these things and, and to incorporate like the, all the senses in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And then one of the other biggest things about 
good instruction is scaffolding your support. If I'm always holding your hand, you're never going to learn. All you're going to do is figure out that I can do it through and you can, you know, poke the right buttons in me and get me to do it for you. So what's scaffolding? Scaffolding is the phrase that often gets used is I do, we do, you do. So I'll do it the first time. I'll show you what it is. I'll show, I'll explain how we're doing it. We might have a conversation or discuss it. Then we're going to do it together. You're going to do it on your side of the table or desk or room. I'm going to do it over here. We'll ask each other questions as we go. We'll do the exact same question or problem together. Now you're going to do it a bunch of times. And I'm going to check in and we might back up because, oh, this one's really hard. So let's do it together again. But now let's get back to you on your own. Because in the end, you have to be applying it on your own and working on it on your own and thinking critically and figuring out what skills do I need to work on? What tools can I use? What strategies work best for me? And I can't do that for you. It's so Karen, true. Are you, are you thinking about what I'm thinking about? Just like This is like nothing like what we got. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was not... I get really <laughs> mad listening to you guys talk about education and your experiences because it is so textbook educational neglect. It's as, yeah. as an educator, I know what you're talking about and I have like practice these things, but as a student, I got fucking none of it. Yeah, I was expected to be able to teach myself math through reading the math no. book. That's not how it works. No. As it turns out. <laughs> they no. look like they're in pain here. <laughs> oh, this is, this is as, a, the level of pain I'm in is about as bad as when my partner tells me all of his growing up stories. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Textbook neglect. It's fine. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, I guess. I'm sure we've talked about this before at some point, but it's like when I read the UN Rights of the Child Act for the first oh. time, I cried. Because it was just stuff I had yearned for so much. Like, I, I made this promise to myself as a kid. Like, I will remember what this feels like because this is unfair and wrong. And I don't know how it is unfair or wrong, but I just know it is. And I will never forget that because all the adults I knew seem to have forgotten what it was like to be a kid. I mean... I made that exact same promise to myself. Mm-hmm. When I was also a kid. But on the other hand, like, it was wrong, and you should not have been through that, and that should should not have been your education experience. And while, yes, U.S. education is not amazing by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> even the U.S. acknowledges there are certain things that you have a right to... And you didn't get that. You had your rights denied to you. So what rights What rights should we have had? Because, like, I, I, I'm, like, peripherally aware of these in terms of what the U.N. says. But, like, the U.S. hasn't ratified that. So what does the U.S. say we have rights to? Well, you have the right to a free and appropriate public education. You guys didn't necessarily exactly have the appropriate part. Um, <laughs> you also have a right to an education that meets your needs. If you were not an English speaker, you have a right to an education that provides you supports for that. I remember in some episodes, Kieran, you've mentioned how math has always been really, really hard. You have a right to have supports in math. You, whether that's getting just extra supports, whether it is having a full-blown education plan that goes, hey, Kieran needs 
specialized instruction in this area. You had a right to that. To I just got you mean you mean you mean. <laughs> Sorry, Karen, go ahead. Oh, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I was just gonna say, you mean I had the right to like have a teacher who wasn't my parent who was gonna like hold it over me at dinner later? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You had, like, all of your education should be, it should be, should have been remotely equivalent to my education. It should have been remotely equivalent to the education of my partners. It should be equivalent to the education of pick a state, pick a town. Education should be equivalent. (laughs) It's not going to be the same because that's not fair if it's the same. Math wasn't hard for me, so it's not fair for Kieran to have math instruction the way it was for me. That That's not going to work. Right. Yeah. But we should at least have an equivalent education where both of our needs are being met and we're both being given all the opportunities that we need to excel to meet standards, which is its own discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but to grow and like and your education should be equivalent in such a way that if you move from one state or one town to another or one school system to another you shouldn't be drastically ahead or drastically behind your peers when i went from so part of my educational history i went to catholic school Mm -hmm. and catholic school doesn't always have to follow all of the same rules and laws regarding education because theirs is run by the archdiocese i believe i don't completely remember um i went one of those like like yeah freedom of religion details yeah i did really well and i got really lucky that i had a teacher who was very excited about learning and hands-on learning but it meant when i moved into a public school i was in reading drastically ahead of where I should have been. (laughs) But in science and social studies, I was very far behind. Sounds like me when I got to college. Yeah. I'm like this, this is relatable content. (laughs) Um, I'm like, I got a, I got a, like a 750 on my SAT and a like 520 on my math. (laughs) Yeah. And like, um, before Common Core, when you had students moving from one state to another, they're moving and going from one math topic to a completely different math topic that this new district is assuming, well, you already had all this prior knowledge. You already, you know, you've already done an addition of of three-digit numbers without regrouping. So you can do this fine. And the kid's like, (laughs) what's regrouping? Yeah. I Everything I've heard about Common Core just sounds so incredible. I feel so jealous of that. I, I tend to be someone who's very on board with Common Core, and I really like it, and all of the complaints that people have about Common Core um, tend to be people not remembering how they learned. Like, it's things right. like, I didn't learn math like this. This is new math. No, no, it's not. This is how we've been <laughs> teaching math for forever, but we have to start with items and pictures and the big concept before we can ever get to a bunch of numbers on a piece of paper in lines well you have Mm -hmm. to know how the rules of the system work before you can like be expected to follow them exactly duh like as soon as i heard about it and heard about the controversy about it like i was like oh this 
This would have helped me so much. And all of the like controversy about, well, I didn't learn it that way. Well, you did. You just don't remember it because you've been using those numbers so long. Yeah. Because they're easier once you understand them. Right. And yeah. The strategies that these kids are learning before they even get to the numbers are the important life strategies that we need. Things like how to count change. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of really good things. Common Core is also really cool because if, say, you're in fourth grade and you are academically in math functioning at more of a second grade ladder uh, level, Common Core is a bunch of ladders so mm-hmm. you can literally just drop down a few steps and they're still learning the same topic, but now it's at their level. Oh my God. That is so cool. Karen, have <laughs> we ever talked about like grades and homeschooling as in like no. grade levels? No, we haven't. What would you say? What would you say if someone, you were like nine and somebody asked you what grade you were in? Uh, how would that go? If I was nine... I would have looked at my mom horrified and asked which grade I was in. Right? I, exactly. And when I was when I was like 15 or whatever, I had understood more about the concept of grades, but just barely. And it's just because my textbooks had grades on them. So I was like, well, I'm 10th grade in math, but I'm 12th grade in like language and reading and every other subject. And so then I would ultimately end that conversation with, so I'm not sure, actually, which grade I'm in. I would be like, I'm nine. <laughs> whatever, whatever nine-year-olds are, that's right. Yeah. Now, um, I had this, like, additional confusion of coming from California to Virginia where it was, like, junior high was, if I'm not mistaken, seventh and eighth grade. And then high school was ninth and on. And going to Virginia, where it was like sixth, seventh, eighth was together from middle school. And so I just like, no one ever like explained it clearly, like what the difference was or whatever. And I just knew like junior high and middle school were being used for the same age group. And I just didn't know what it meant. And so I was just like, I don't know. Like, I still have trouble being like anyone between the ages of like 11 and 14. I have no idea what grade to put them in <laughs> because it doesn't make sense. I, I mean, the 6th, 7th, and 8th is a wonky set of grades. Like, the standards that exist in 6th grade exist across the country. 6th graders are 6th graders are 6th graders. But whether or not they're considered an elementary school or a middle school or what have you kind of just depends on the school system and how they're set up. Right. And then, like, 7th and 8th is a lot of, like, if I remember correctly, is a lot of review to, like, just, like, secure things up while everybody's going through their hormonal shifts so that when they come to ninth grade, they can focus again. Yeah, and, like, the reason I'm an elementary school teacher who technically can teach sixth grade is I can teach sixth grade if it's treated as part of the elementary school. Ah. Right. Whereas if the sixth grade is treated as part of the middle school where they're going from classroom to classroom, I can't teach that because I'm not certified so in, in a particular subject i'm certified in, in virginia generalized education you would not be a, yeah in virginia you wouldn't be able to teach sixth grade no. right unless it's special yeah. education then i'm good right. for the whole gambit it's so we just never knew what grade we were in and it's like yeah. a, it's like a it's like a quintessential like stockholm school joke of like what grade are you in i don't know like yeah that is the touchstone we all have like that's 
That's a, like, base level, like, it's, like, blonde jokes level of common, like, with homeschoolers. It's like, what grade are you in? I don't know. <laughs> Everything goes back to that. So, yes, this kind of stuff is just blowing my mind because it's, like, this would, it would have been so great if I, like, was able to talk to my peers about the same stuff that we were all learning together. Like, I love that part of, I love that part of having classmates in college and, like, you know, for a cohort in grad school, like, wow, it could have been this way all along. Oh, man. Yeah. Going to college made me realize that, like, I would have been so good in school. Uh, hell, most high With people. Most high schools also have, like, college prep and, like, post-grad readiness stuff. There was a few months where I was teaching in a high school. And, like, these students, they had once a week a group of it was a group of students across all across one grade with one teacher and they follow each other up through all of high school and they meet once a week and they don't do anything academic and that starts off with games and just get to know you stuff so like for you know the first three months we did nothing but play like secret spy mission kind of games right but then as they start moving up you start going over this is you know how gpa is calculated this is why it's important oh look now let's start actually researching what what are just different career paths you don't have to pick one but you should at least start you know keeping your eye open um Mm -hmm. let's set up let's set up bank accounts this high school had a bank in it what? The first thing that I yes. like, the first time I ever ran into something like that was like career night at Awana, and I was like, "Huh, there's women having careers here." But- Interesting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't go to that Awana night. <laughs> I only went to that Awana night because my dad got asked to speak. <laughs> the- this this particular high school, they would there was a bank in the high school. So these groups, they would go and the teachers would help the student open up a bank account and teach them how to manage it. And by the time they got to their senior year of high school, they were applying for colleges and the teacher was helping them fill out applications, helping them apply for grants and financial aid and and they were they had someone who could write them a letter of recommendation because this person had watched them grow over four years and it mm-hmm. and it was also an amazing behavior tool because here's now a teacher who I've only you know as a student I only have to go to this teacher to discuss happy fun things and I'm never in trouble with them so if I need someone who to feel connected with I can go to them and if I need to vent about what I'm feeling I can go to them and they're safe Right. Uh, it makes such a difference to have people like that. Like, God, I can't imagine what <laughs> I know. Would have been like with that. I know. I'm like, I like, I literally can't envision it. It sounds fucking amazing. The first time I had a like an instructor like that was in college, and it's it was like really hard for me to like like rein myself in and not like go full on like imprinting. F- father duck (laughs) stuff on this person because it was like I was so hungry for that kind of like you know outsource connection it's really important Mm -hmm. yeah also I just love that like a group of students got bank accounts that their parents didn't necessarily have the Mm -hmm. entire keys to (laughs) you mean the parents couldn't just siphon off money at any point 
Is that Did, even allowed? Was it you whose parents stole like a couple thousand dollars from, or was that another friend? I'm afraid that was another right. friend. My parents definitely uh, took money from me, but they usually told me. I, I I have a friend whose parents had access to their bank account and they had saved a whole bunch during high school and like invested it and then like re put it back in. And at some point they were like a they were like early college, like early out from parents' control and they discovered that six grand was missing. Oh my god. And like the reason I can't remember who that is is because that story is so common. So common. Is like that's not that doesn't stand out as like one person's name because I heard I have heard this is versions of this story so many times. I'd anyway. be hard pressed to think of anyone who hasn't had something like that happen who came from our background. That's a whole like me. I didn't have that happen barely. Right. But like yeah, that's a whole that's a whole other episode we could yeah, do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway. So Woo. Common Core is super cool. Yes. And. Uh, now it's like all our public education stuff is kind of getting fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, all right. Betsy DeVos yeah. is a large part of that. Yeah. So what? how does that connect? Because even I talked about like the homeschooling connection, but we have no idea about how that really kind of plays out in not homeschooled settings. So play, play yes and with our last episode, please. <laughs> So, remember how you guys were talking about the whole, like, charter schools and money following the student and all of that? Yeah. That sounds like a dream. Part of that is already in play. Part of it. Um, And it comes into play with charter schools. It comes into play with um, special education. And... It comes into play in that if, because students have a right to a free and appropriate public public education, when the public school cannot serve them and they go to a different school, the public school is the one who's paying for it. Mm. So I worked for a year at a special education charter school. It was 100% special education for students with severe behavior and severe academic concerns. So the students in my classroom, I had 10 of them, they were high schoolers, but mentally and academically, I think we were functioning at a second grade level. Hmm. Behaviorally, um, the short story is I was regularly threatened and attacked by my students. And they needed that kind of extra support. Mm-hmm. For a student to go to school there for one year was $70,000. What? I mean, wow. you, you have to, yeah, you have to have that kind of like specialized support. Yeah. And that makes sense. It, it makes sense. That's $70,000. You're salaries with that. Yeah. It's yeah. coming from the public school. Oh. Uh... Now, if we use my current school as like a background for a student without an IEP, who's doing great in my school it's about 17,000 for the year to cover all the curriculum all the teachers make all of the every little detail and there's so many little details food in the cafeteria all of that right students with an IEP it goes up it's now $26,000 because they have 
specialized services. Sometimes they're getting speech therapy, occupational therapy. All, they're getting diff- additional needs met. Mm-hmm. $26,000, $70,000. Yeah. So much. What? Such a huge difference. That is Why? three special ed students that could have been paid for that are now the, all of their money is going to this one student. Or if I look at, you know, the 17,000 of a typical student, now that's closer to six students who we're taking away from. Mm-hmm. Now, same thing is true with charter schools. If I have a student who's going to a charter school, it's going to be more expensive. And all of that money is getting pulled from other students. Which, like, if we were actually funding schools properly, like, this wouldn't be a problem. Like, this is a, like, false dilemma with the assumption that, like, this amount of money is all we're ever going to get. And, like, I know in my school district, we keep talking about there's a population of students in our school district who we've, as teachers, have been fighting for. They are academically... They are very, very low. These are kids who are going to need life skills. But Mm -hmm. maturity and emotionally, they're just like their everyday peers. So I can't put them in a life skills class because they're going to be like, what are you doing? I'm not, I'm not dumb. Right. So we were were like, we need a program for them. We need to get them something. And we've been asking for it and fighting for it and kept kept being told, we don't have the money. Why don't we have Uh. the money? Because we're sending 138 students to other schools at a cost of an average of $52,000 per student. Right. So when you're looking at charter schools, now we're sending these students, we're paying for their education, and while, yes, they're legally required to follow IEPs and 504s and support the students' needs, it doesn't usually happen. Um, I looked up a... Like, all of this is, I mean, some of this is a representation of, like, how badly education is funded in this country. Yeah. And then, like, but, like, 80% of this is a rough reflection of, like, how disabled people are still treated as second-class citizens. Yeah, we are. Across yeah. the board. Yeah, we are. <laughs> it's so bad. But anyway, everybody go find my friend Gretchen Schreiber and subscribe to her newsletter about this and uh, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... of teachers at charter schools are not certified. I got that from of education. uh, The the nation's report card is what it was labeled. It's a national assessment of educational progress. It was from 2003. That's the latest that I could find. 70% of the teachers are not certified teachers. Oh they might God. be in the process of becoming certified, but they are not actually certified. Is this is this because they're a lot of them are AmeriCorps? I don't actually or know. Teach for America or something? Because I know that a lot of it, Teach for America and AmeriCorps teachers end up there as like part of their like we can't f- hire someone to do this because it's so expensive to do this, so we can pay you less because you're not certified and you will get your degree later. It, it's it's possible. I definitely think that some of the teachers there are in the process of getting their certification. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also possible that like I look at charter schools and I refuse to apply to them because I don't want to be in a school that doesn't have union protection and tells me that if 
I am teaching anything they don't like, like say, hey, trans people deserve rights too, that they can then kick me out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> like when I'm currently doing all this research on how to be less racist of a teacher because there is racism inherent in the school system that's sadly a thing that exists and has to be changed and I can work on changing that myself but if I were to do that in some charter schools now I'm going to get yelled at and disciplined for incorporating books that are more diverse and such or it's possible that it could happen whereas if I do it in a public school I now have protection and can't get fired for doing that Mm -hmm. right 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 Right. Whereas, and like all of the arguments against union protection of teachers saying that I can't get fired. No, that's not true. If, if I touch a student, if I hurt a student, it doesn't matter if I'm tenure or not, I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I mean, good. The, but Well, yeah. no, but the, the you can't get fired thing, it's literally mm-hmm. a ma- just protecting me from being let go for stupid reasons or, right. you know, for disagreements. And if... I have a year where I wasn't the best teacher, then the school district has to prove that they are helping me be a better teacher. And it wasn't right. working before. They can't just arbitrarily fire yes. me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is basic labor rights. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the other thing with charter schools, and I've seen this and it really bothers me, is that, well, one, that same report shows that there's no data to support the educational progress of a charter school. It's not exactly better. It's it, it, it's just below the progress of public education. So it's not mm-hmm. drastically worse, but it's definitely not better. Right. Um, but the part that really angers me is there are many situations where parents who are signing up for charter schools sign away their students' rights. And they don't know that they're doing that? They, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but it could be things like signing away the right to the IEP. No. Oh, no, can't do that. So now you have Betsy DeVos coming in going, go charter schools, go charter schools, go charter schools. And anyone who's agreeing with her and following her is now rushing to leave public schools for charter schools. All of the money that we have to support our students is following them. Okay, and I have some some vague understanding. I, I don't really know when charter schools started becoming such a, a, a part of the education system. Um, but I do have a sense of, like, it happening mid-2000s, and it was associated with, like, No Child Left Behind, and... First charter school law was in 1991 in Minnesota. Okay. Wow. And I do, I do have some sort of sense of, like, it being distinctly racist. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, that's about all I know. Uh-huh. Um, I don't have a lot of information to back that one up. I, I know that you are accurate on that one, Um Mm-hmm. But that is something that I'm only just starting to learn myself because I'm just starting to read about racism and trying to undo my own part in that. So you're right. Mm-hmm. I, I did read that. I don't remember where I read it. <laughs> well, and I think it has something to do with like the, the funding available for it is. 
but a lot of it was uh, yes to maintain segregation and and it's also like it's like available in districts where that aren't doing so well because they're underfunded because because all of your funding so comes uh, from the town all of your right. funding comes from the town so like a poor city that is mostly people of color living in apartments it's only the landlord who is paying the taxes on the apartment which means it's only so where you, if you so have they're not filing this if they're not filling out their census data it's well, only counted as one person well it's it's you have if you have five built apartment buildings versus five houses mm-hmm. those five houses in you know in the rich town are paying five taxes towards education if each of those apartments oh i see what you're saying has 10 families in it it's still only five taxes towards education right because it's on the building not on the people living in it so when you have uh cities full of people of color and the poorer cities you now most of them are living in apartments most of them are living in i've heard a lot of arguments for like not arguments Mm -hmm. just statements about like education funding needs to be not tied to property taxes and i never really understood why this makes sense yeah that Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense now and it is supporting the racial segregation and the racial inequities of education because now that richer town has a lot of money for their students and that poor and they have less students because, again, there was mm-hmm. only five families there, whereas in these five apartment buildings, you have 10 families per apartment building. That's 50 kids still only covered by the right. money of five students. Right. And then you siphon some of those off for charter schools and they have, like, drastically proportionally less. Yes. Got it. Tracking now. All right. Oh, that makes so much more so sense. Oh, my God. Has DeVos made this worse? Was this already pretty bad before she got there? Did DeVos she, has happened? been pushing for this. It was okay. a thing beforehand, but it wasn't super pushed for. And she's super pushing for it. And not only that, like, her pushing for the reopening of schools in the fall mm-hmm. also plays into this, too. Because when you have, when we're reopening schools, we're not going to be able to open with best practices. No, God, best practices would mean I'm sitting next to students. I have my students interacting with each other. They're doing hands on things together. I can't do hands on things because that's all material that's going to pass virus around. So I and you can't do group work. I can't do group work. I can't share materials. I can't share materials. I have to spread everyone out. They can't be interacting with each other. So opening up in the fall means we're taking away everything that we know about what is good learning and what is good education. And we have years of data to back up what is good i somebody i forget which country it was there is a country in south america recently that canceled school for the next year and i'm just like yeah that seems like the legit thing to do like i don't feel like anybody's gonna learn anything this next year under these circumstances all we're doing everybody's gonna be both stressed and bored and adding mental health concerns because now the kid Mm -hmm. you've got kids wondering oh no is it my fault my teacher got sick Oh, no. Is it my fault? My classmate died. Yeah. Yeah. So we're taking away all of the things that make education good and and successful. We're adding mental health issues. And this is all something Betsy DeVos is pushing for. Now we're going to have a whole bunch of parents who already hate public education questioning it even more. And what's Betsy DeVos saying? But charter schools are the answer. 
So now they're all leaving and going to charter schools. But again, charter schools also right now can't do any of the things that make education good, even if they are a good charter school where students are succeeding, which means what remains? Homeschooling. Homeschooling. Yeah. <laughs> and and if the money's not following the student, then homeschooling's going to be a fucking bust. Or even if it is, like they're not equipped. They're just mm-hmm. not right. Equipped. Like, and like, and that's just looking at what Betsy DeVos is doing in terms of charter schools and COVID, and not even talking about any of the other crap that she's pulled. Cause she did. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna like put a pin in that. Yeah. I'm gonna just like comment on the homeschooling thing for a second. Yeah. Go ahead. I feel like I've said this already, but I'm gonna just say it again just to be extra clear. The the I feel like the conflicts between parents and children escalate more when education's on the table, especially if students are not standard learners and the parents are not qualified to deal with that. So you have things like my mom and me having screaming matches about math and then her taking that out on me later in like passive aggressive ways. And like, that's a very mild situation, but that's where abuse escalates. Yeah. And so it's going to be like, not only is education on the table, but like physical and emotional safety of children is going to be very much on the table because nobody's prepared or equipped for this. There's no money for it. And it like, you have to live with that person. You can't go home and turn it off and like, yeah. take a break. You can't go to a safe other space. You're locked in there with that person. And everything DeVos is doing is pushing for students to be in that situation because all of her choices are dismantling public education, which... All right. Yeah. Carry on with your laundry list. What else <laughs> is she doing? Uh, <laughs> um, well, one, she's been caught lying, like just hands down caught lying. Which was one of my favorite experiences. I laughed real hard on that one. (laughs) What happened? She went on this huge rant shortly after she was uh, put into office about East Hartford, Connecticut. And this this young man named Michael, who she had a very long conversation with about how he was struggling and they kept just automatically passing him and pushing him onward and onward and onward. And, uh... East Hartford's district leader for data analysis went, something doesn't sound right. Even though this is a stock politician parable, (laughs) I think I can prove it wrong. So went and looked through all of the data and went and looked at every student named Michael in the past 10 years. Oh my God. And found that every one of them passed, not just with D's getting pushed along, like doing super well honor roll students. Wow, the power, the power of the patriarchy, right there. <laughs> and, and then, like, follow, <laughs> followed up her response with, "Oh, by the way, here's the rest of East Hartford. Ninety-six percent of their students believe that their teachers hold them to high expectations. Ninety-seven percent of families believe schools are safe. Ninety-five percent of East Hartford high school students graduated the pre- that year. Like, East Hartford." All of the data says they were doing phenomenal. She got caught lying. 
amazing. Yeah, no, that's a great. I'm <laughs> sure. I'm sure. Like there was someone she was talking to, which she just fudged data on it, fudged the name, fudged the location. But like, oh, that's so sloppy. And then like she has she's been found supporting removing protections for trans students regarding bathroom usage. Yep. Um defunding public schools specifically to move the money into voucher programs. She was sued for violating federal law with guarding colleges with predatory practices such as Trump University. Never heard of it. Don't know what they do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She pulled back uh, sexual assault survivor protections in school. Yeah, Yeah, I saw that she can like make the rapist cross-examine the victim in court uh-huh she uh wants to remove union protection for teachers which you know <laughs> came about so that teachers w- which are overwhelmingly female you know can't get fired for getting pregnant how does she feel about police unions by contrast <laughs> i didn't actually look that up now I'm curious. I'm 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 just I'm, just, I'm just <laughs> yeah. sure it's hypocritical. That's that's all. Oh I yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, she's uh, she argued that I, as a teacher, should hold a firearm when I'm teaching, and that's how I'm going to protect my students from sh- shooters. Mm. Which, like, anyone who's done any research on like gun and. violence knows that's not how that works. But also remember, my stu- I work with behavior. Yeah, that's not gonna no. <laughs> I no. I have my students have no. stabbed me. I have come come home with literal open wounds from my students and handprint bruises. I don't want your students grabbing a gun off your hip. Neither yeah, do I. No. Um, That's going to end real great. She uh, wants to abolish student loan forgiveness that exists for teachers. She... Uh, I mean, it's almost impossible to get that anyway because the benchmarks keep changing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but additionally, fuck her. Um, she dismissed her response to the Parkland school shooting was to be on a safety committee that dismantled student civil right protections. Such as? Let me open up the article. <laughs> I'm like, please give us more specifics. <laughs> so the article's from The Atlantic. It was published December 18th. And... So essentially it all came down to rather than confronting the role of guns and violence, the Trump administration blamed school shooting on civil rights enforcements and decided that their committee has no connection to school shootings and talking about public and like school safety has nothing to do with school shootings and they're not connected at all. And for Washington. Oh yeah, definitely. Guns have nothing to do with it ever. And And then they wrote, for Washington policymakers to give outsized attention to student discipline reform is to succumb to ideological precepts that lack empirical support. What? (laughs) It is to waste the lessons gleaned from the tally of school shootings while reinforcing racial disparities. That's how the article ends. Oh, so the article's... (laughs) Okay, yeah, yeah, all right, good. Got it, good. (laughs) So, in short, every single thing that she does only increases the knowledge that public schools are not safe. And if parents Mm -hmm. don't believe the public schools are safe, they're not going to put the students in public school. 
Uh. And that's including like good parents. If, you know, if I had a good parent who acknowledged that I'm queer and that I could maybe one day come out to, they wouldn't put me in a public school knowing that she's removing LGBTQ protections. They right. would, right. you know, and it like good good parents are going to divest from this system because they already they know it, and she's doing that on purpose. Exactly, yeah. she's taking the current distrust of public education and making it worse. She wants people to leave it. What is what do you think her end goal is? Honestly, I think her end goal is to quote or not to quote you guys, but yes, to quote you guys. (laughs) (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, she is absolutely tied into the conspiracy. The conspiracy is real. It is real. So she wants everybody to be segregated and homeschooled and completely under their parents' authority and religiously brainwashed? Everything that I see about her supports that because everything I see about her supports getting students out of schools and into homeschooling. Yeah. I wonder how much make my Ferris is paying her. <laughs> I, I really, I really want to know. Like, I don't I, think it, he, be, like, I want to do given, a FOIA. <laughs> given, given how much money <laughs> she has from her family slash her brother, like, I'm sure she doesn't need anything that Mike Ferris has to offer because he is nowhere near worth as much as she is. But also, like, what's he getting out of this in the end? Right? Like, Good question. I just want to know things. I just want to, like, FOIA all this information. But unfortunately, most of it's private. I know. I know. It. I, it's not actually something that I think we can FOIA. Well, not easily. I don't know. I only know how it works for local stuff. Right. <laughs> I don't, I don't well, know how it works for like, the Secretary of Education like... in a private organization. Mm-hmm. Regardless, Mike Ferris is benefiting. HSLDA is benefiting. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that CRHE exists to like help support new homeschoolers along this so that like the plan doesn't quite go as intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah. At the very least, we can give people tools to, like, do it better. Everybody sign up for Rachel and Chelsea's course. Yes. Uh, We'll help a lot. And also, like, when it comes to the fall, um, if you're not pulling your kids out of public education, trust your teachers. We've spent all summer researching how to actually do distance learning because the spring was a mess because we didn't know we were doing something brand new for the first time and it was awful. And in most cases, we were just drastically trying to hope that our students didn't lose any knowledge. But I've- Oh yeah, yeah. as a professor, I was like doing triage yeah. the entire spring to try to make sure that like nobody got completely lost because everything was a shit show. Mm-hmm. And the summer courses went great because everybody was on the same page in terms of expectations and preparation. But the, the spring was just like, I'm losing people who are A students because they don't have internet access mm-hmm. or because they don't learn this way. It was awful. So, like, with school, with getting ready to go back to school and with some schools doing a hybrid part in person, part distance, with some schools doing straight distance, trust your teachers. 
we've been doing a lot of research on how to make it successful and how to actually teach this way as opposed to just doing triage. Yeah. I, I really hope school districts like Roanoke City Schools just made the call to like be distant for the fall, which is so smart. But like I really hope school districts follow suit and just pull it and let the teachers like do what they have been preparing to do and trust them because trying to do it in person is just gonna like fuck everything up yeah. and make the these adjustments harder all around. My district just agreed to do hybrid. And it's better than fully in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And my goal is the days that I am in school and that a student is in school is to essentially teach them how I'm using Google Classroom. So (laughs) so that the minute that the school gets shut down, because it's gonna, because when you... Like first week of October. Yep. 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 The students already know what to do. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to be like, I'm going to teach you how to canvas literacy. We're just going to be doing, like, how to access the reading so you don't ask me questions at 2 a.m. the night before class. (laughs) Smart. And then we'll actually do real stuff. That's very smart. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be intense. Mm -hmm. So what else? I think I mostly went through that the document I sent you. Maybe not in You have like your concluding your like coda here, your personal opinion. What are you what's your like manifesto at the end of all of this? That the conspiracy is real and she's actively a part of it. That all of the data points to her being an active player. Yeah. And while I can't prove it definitively, there is no doubt in my mind. Do you feel like you are among, like, many of your peers in assuming that? No. Most of my peers... Most of my peers didn't come from the fundamentalist background. So what do they think of all this? They think she's an idiot who doesn't know anything. I think that she... While, yes, she doesn't know anything about education because she literally has no background in it and no degree in it and no, like, no experience in it, I think her moves are probably deliberate because Mm -hmm. I do think she is tied in everything and she is systematically pulling apart education. Hmm. So if she's systematically pulling apart education, how can, how can it not be deliberate? Do they see it being systematic as well? They think she's just an idiot for the most part. Okay. Uh, Gotcha. But again, they're not coming from the fundamentalist background. So they're just looking at it as, as, oh God, is she really, did she speak again? Oh my God. Right. Right. Like, like they're looking at it as um, John Mulaney's horse in the hospital thing. I'm not familiar. (laughs) He's a comedian and he, I mean, I know who he is. I know he's very cute. That's about all I know. And he he did this whole bit about how the election was like, now suddenly there's a horse in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious, but it kind of, but a lot of it boils down to this idea that it's kind of just stupid and idiotic right. because a horse has no training in hospital because it's literally not even, like the skills aren't even there. Right, right, so right. So it can't be deliberate because it's just that dumb. 
So a lot of my teachers look at it that way. Whereas I don't have the exact same background as you guys, but I do have a fundamentalist evangelical background. So mm-hmm. I'm looking at this going, no, this is bad. This is scary. Mm-hmm. This is not okay. And when I'm seeing this, I'm getting more and more scared. So what would you say to parents with school age kids for this fall? Like what advice do you have for them? Trust your teachers get in contact with your teachers. Your teachers are there to support you. Um, We want to be in constant contact with parents. I will be emailing my teacher, my parents regularly to stay in contact and know what do you need? How can I, as a teacher, support you and help you? So Mm -hmm. trust them. If you have a concern, bring it to your teachers. Even if it's a, you know, one of the kids in my house is a very violent kid and sometimes freaks out. Tell all of the other parents in that fam, you know, all the other teachers for that family. So that if the student has to suddenly disappear because her brother is breaking things in the room. They all get it. They all know. People understand and, you know, and it's okay. And the teacher will know, I can work with you. I can help get you what you need for this. These kinds of, like, context things are so important. I'm, like, not to go too far afield, but, like, I had a student who would always act out in class. It was a... 10th grade class and he was like acting like a fourth grader on caffeine constantly and I was so irritated with him and then I had someone pull me aside and be like hey just so you know his parents have been living in Moscow for the last four years he lives with his grandparents his grandpa is an alcoholic he doesn't get breakfast yeah. when he, mm. before he comes to school and he doesn't get food until he goes home after school when his grandma wakes up and the grandpa's still asleep. Like, mm-hmm. and I, after that, I was just like, oh, okay, I can give him a pass. Like, I had no idea up until the point I just would have been so annoyed. Yeah, so, like, giving information to the teachers that your your kids are working with. Right. And then the other biggest thing is when it comes time to vote, research what the candidates are saying about education research what they're saying about education if the person is saying that education is failing and that's why we need to dismantle it uh, now i have a few questions yeah have some concerns if they're saying things like we need to support education we need to get more money into education we need to support teachers then i you know i i would prefer that person (laughs) you can negotiate with that person yes yeah you know, because they assume the system's worth saving. You know, research what candidates have voted regarding education. You know, I don't trust a candidate who voted not to protect me from violent students. Yeah. I fair. Right now, Details. if I get stabbed by a student, I can't do anything about it. There is no protection for me over that other than workers' comp. That's it. Mm-hmm. Oof. So research the, their votes regarding education and vote for the people who are supporting it. Because, yes, we know education is not great in our country, but teachers genuinely want it to be better. And we right. genuinely want to, our students to do well. And most of the times we can't change it because our hands are tied by the politicians. So vote for the politicians who support us. Yeah. Well, I mean, just knowing teachers, like, I've known so many who did, like, it's every waking hour is spent toward, like, 
in thinking about the classroom, improving things, like investing in their students, their like free money and money they shouldn't be spending is, is spent on supplies that the school district can't, district can't supply. Like mm-hmm. they get there at 4.30 a.m. because that's the only time they can prep like there because they're not given enough breaks during the day. Like it's just overwhelmingly trust them. <laughs> Give them the benefit of the doubt because they're putting their heart and soul into it. I've seen it. That's what I got. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for educating us about how all of this works. And I have a much better understanding of how the charter and public schools interact. Because that's always been so confusing to me. I'm just like, I don't understand. <laughs> now yeah. it makes so much sense. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Th- thank you for letting me rant. <laughs> <laughs> We wouldn't know this stuff without people like you. So thank you so much for taking the time to educate us and to advocate for yourself and your profession and, you know, help contextualize like the more practical day-to-day impacts of the stuff that DeVos is doing. Really appreciate it. I need to drink more. (laughs) Not enough whiskey tonight, huh? <laughs> Not enough Midori. Um, so in terms of listeners who want to get in touch with you or support you, what what do you want to give them? Um, I'm on Twitter. That's my most public platform. It's where I tend to just yell about social justice issues and disability as a What's your handle? I'm trying to look it up because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Musical gal one, two, three. All right. It, cool. it, it's me yelling about teaching and being disabled and being queer and being a religious abuse survivor and all that comes with all of that. Wonderful. Yes. Excellent. You're in great company. Yeah. <laughs> My whole thought is just like, welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club. We love you here. It's great. <laughs> thank you. For- I mean, I don't know if it. I don't know if it's great, but like, we're good. Thank, <laughs> thank you for producing a podcast that had me going. Wait a minute, I went through that too. Aw, man. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, and I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry to make you remember things. Glad you're not alone. Ah. <laughs> uh. Ah. Uh, oh, I'm so glad you could join us. I had fun. as always thank you so much to dave for producing our episodes and to the heavens for our lovely music it's janet from the album stenazo and if you want to find us (laughs) kitchentablecult.com yep and um if you're a patron you get access to our slack which is where Kristen hangs out also so it's a lot of fun know. join the slack follow their patreon yes. support them Woo! <laughs> it's uh patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod and as always thank you so much for listening and being here with us in this weird 2020 timeline all right <laughs> stay well until next week wear your masks <laughs> Wear your mask, use hand sanitizer, wash your hands. Trust your teachers. Trust your teachers. Thank you, teachers. Yes. Bye. Bye.